This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. Welcome to Deep Blue, where we explore the most compelling stories in BYU sports. I'm your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, we talk with Mitch Matthews, known for his Hail Mary catch against Nebraska in 2015. He has a rich story of overcoming hard things, including dealing with his mother's funeral on the same week as his wedding, and then being cut from the NFL. Here's his story that aired on BYU TV in November of 2019. I'm Mitch Matthews, and I played at BYU from 2012 to 2015, and a few years in the NFL as well, and now I'm an entrepreneur and I've started my own business. I just remember him being a phenomenal receiver. Um, he was so tall, he was so long, and so a lot of those guys are one-dimensional, but Mitch Matthews, I thought, was as, as much of an all-around as receiver as you can find. Nobody is better at what Mitch does than Mitch. And I don't think, if he knew someone broke the records that he's broken, he'd just go break it again. We all talk about the, those players that you love having on your team, but you hate to play against. I think he was one of those, uh, just because of his competitive nature. And he took that competitiveness, not just on the field, but off the field and the things he does. And, and if you look at him now, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's running a business and he's really just self-motivated because of his competitive nature to be the best that he can be. He also was the younger brother. Um, and his, so his older brother Marcus pushed him a lot. He, he kind of had to keep up with him. And Mitch would always say that he didn't want to be known as Marcus's little brother. Because Marcus was a good athlete too. He knew that if he was going to make a name for himself, he was going to have to work extra hard to make himself stand out, to set himself apart. Very few people get the chance to play college football or NFL football, but even less, I'd say, get the chance to, to play college football with their own brother, who I've looked up to my whole entire life. We didn't do anything not together when we played together. And that was, you know, some of the closest times I ever had with my brother. And those are times I look back on and we still talk about to this day. Joking around in the locker room and, and creating memories there. And, and that was a time in my life that I'll never forget, playing with your own brother uh, in college football. It's, it's really fun. So the Hail Mary was definitely the hallmark of my career. I, I prided myself in in being a playmaker, which means when, when people think you have no chance to catch the ball, then, then I'm going to make a play. And that was kind of my, my mantra at, at BYU, was just make a play. We go back out onto the field for our, our final drive. We get to the 42-yard line, not quite close enough for a field goal. There's only one second to go in the game. And so we call timeout and we, we dial up our, our Hail Mary play. I roll out and I just put it up in the air. When that ball was flying in the air, I, I felt like it was my chance to really show people who I was and to make a big play on a big stage like that. Goes for the end zone, the ball's in the air, it drops at the goal line, I think he caught it for a touchdown! He got it! He got it! He got it! Touchdown, Mick Matthews! The Cougars win it! The Cougars win it! And I'll never forget it. I, I, I hear about it nearly every single day, and this is, this is four years past. And I, I'm grateful for moments like that, that, that uh, kind of were an icing on the cake for my career here at BYU. And, and even when I played in the NFL, it was, you're the Hail Mary guy, right? That's what people said to me. You know, my life is dedicated to, to what I call redefining hard. I feel like there was a span of one month where, where my, my world got flipped upside down. And within one month, my mom passed away. And it was a few days, the same weekend, actually, as my wedding. And a couple weeks after that, I was cut for the third time from my dream job playing in the NFL, and I was starting my own business. One of the experiences that Mitch went through that shaped him the most was the loss of his mom. And if you know Lisa, 
you know, just how amazing she is and how great of a woman she is. After my mom passed away, um, it was two in the morning and um, all of us are exhausted as a family and we went to bed and I had a workout the next morning at 6 a.m. And so I got three and a half hours, four hours of sleep that, that next day and then I got up and, and worked out. Because at the time I was on the Vikings, so I had, I had a job, right? And so, um, like I said before, there was nothing that was gonna get in my way of chasing my dreams and my mom taught me that. And so the day, you know, hours after she passed away, it was still go time. So I don't think there's really a ceiling for Mitch with what he wants to do. He's not afraid to go for it. He's not afraid to fail. He just puts his whole mind into something and just goes for it. And I think that's what he does with almost anything. If he wants to be better at it, he just bears down and does it. You know, he doesn't let anything stop him. Life is so fragile. Things can be switched in an instant. Things can be perfect and five hours later be horrible. You can be living your dream job and five minutes later, you're not living your dream job. And so if you have a chance to do something, you have a potential to do something, how dare you not go all out in that? And that's how I live my life now is not many businesses make it, but I'm gonna make this happen because I've been cut down so many times. I've lost things like that. And in my power, I'm gonna do everything I can to make my dreams happen because I've seen them switch. Sometimes you only have one shot, sometimes you have multiple, but you never know when, when things are gonna end. And so put every single thing you have into what you're doing in your, in your choice of, of your dreams and you'll reap a lot of benefits from that. Today's guest is one of the best athletes to come through BYU. He made one of the greatest plays in BYU history. He was the subject of a fun debate one summer on BYU Sports Nation. He's a guy from the 503. He is Mitch Matthews. Welcome to the program. Great to have you. Man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And thanks for being on the first ever episode of Deep Blue. I, I specifically wanted you. I love that. I love it. We go back a little ways. Uh, obviously, a Portland connection. Yeah. Uh, you grew up in Portland. I grew up in Portland, then moved to Utah. And obviously, uh, covering you here at BYU. But you were one of those Deep Blue stories where I thought, we really need to tell Mitch's story. And uh, so, th- those who missed it, you can watch it on the BYU TV app, or you can rewind this podcast, go to the beginning. Uh, it, your story is really compelling. Because a lot of people, I think, Mitch, know you as the Hail Mary guy, oh, which yeah. is cool to be known for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, you're much more than that. And you talked about in the story how you went through a really hard period where you're trying to make it in the NFL, you're getting married, and your mom passes away. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot to cover here. Let's start with the Hail Mary. Okay. Going into the Nebraska game, it's 2015, Taysom Hill's senior year. He's going to have another one because, unfortunately, he gets hurt. Yep. Let's go there because Tanner Mangum comes in. He's the hero. He's the guy. But at halftime, we, we Taysom knew that he was out for the season. Did mm-hmm. he tell anybody at halftime? Taysom was uh, he was not in, in the right place, and rightfully so, to announce to the team, hey, guys, I'm done for the season, right? We had heard because that information is going to spread pretty quickly. And it's going to come to the receivers pretty quickly. Hey, new quarterbacks coming in. Hey, what happened to Taysom? What's going on? And we, we find out pretty quickly, but it's not coming from Taysom because so he's yet. trying to absorb the whole thing. So it was we heard rumblings, hey, it's not looking good after the first quarter because that's when it happened. Mm. Then come halftime, it was like, it's official. It's, this is a season-ending type injury. Get ready for the next 
12, 13 games, you got a new quarterback all of a sudden. So you knew at halftime? You knew at halftime then officially, but it wasn't Taysom coming out and telling us directly. It was whisperings and then, then uh, the offensive coordinator saying, this is what we're doing. But then he still played the third quarter. Right. On a list, Frank. Right. Because I think with Taysom, you know this if you play with Taysom, it's, he's pretty superhuman in a lot of ways. So even an injury like that that takes out most humans, you got to remember that he's not 100% human. So <laughs> he's going to have an extra quarter in him to play. And so uh, after that, that third quarter, and it, it, it kind of became official official. Because I remember they, during halftime, they, they gave him some medicine. They taped up his foot and his ankle. And it was, let's go try this out, but this is probably not going to work. And it you know, didn't work out for him. So that's when, that's when it became real official, when you see uh, you know, Tanner jog on the field. Okay, Tanner comes in, and then it's this freshman off a mission. His helmet's a little too big, like the whole deal. Back and forth. This is a big game. This is a packed crowd. Uh, I think, you know, Nebraska had won 25 straight home openers or something, right? We get to the fourth quarter. It's back and forth. You guys take the lead. They take the lead. Now, BYU's got the ball down one. You're at midfield. Adam Hine has a – Robert and I calls a draw with no timeouts yeah. or something to get to midfield, at least give you guys a shot. Then, then the Hail Mary happens. Take me to the moments before the Hail Mary. Um, because inside BYU football on BYU TV sort of showed us that you guys had practiced this, obviously. Yeah. But now it's time to actually use it. And, sure. And you're going to be the guy at the front of the goal line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you practice a Hail Mary in practice, it's, it's one of those things where, like, this is never going to really happen. But let's go <laughs> ahead and, like, put in this play called the Hail Mary, whatever we're going to call it. Three receivers to the right. You put in your tallest guys. We had a super tall receiver crew. And then Mitch was going to Nick Kurtz. Yeah, yeah, and me. Yeah, so three guys six, over six. Five, six, exact, six yeah. Exactly. So me off to the very left, three guys to the right. Tanner, or whoever the quarterback is, rolls out to the right. And the hope was I get forgotten about on the left side by myself. So I get a one-on-one matchup. They heave it up. And no, no referee is going to call a pass interference. So you got to know it's going to be— You didn't have pulling. it called against you in 2013. Against Utah. Exactly. And it was, it was terrible. But it's the last play of the game. It's almost this unwritten rule that referees don't call it. So DBs know this, and they're extra physical. Extra to the point where it's like murder out there. So as you can tell, <laughs> with, if you watch Nick and if you watch Taryn, they're getting held. They're getting grabbed. And as I come across, the cornerback that was guarding me almost gave up. Because even he was like, well, this guy's on the other side of the field. They're rolling out the opposite way. He jogs behind me like 10 yards. So I know I have some space. I know I'm running into this crowd of just bodies. And that's when I see the ball come in the air. And I, I had this split, this moment where, and I'll pause for a second on the story of this, where that entire game, I didn't, actually didn't have my best game. I had a touchdown earlier in the game. I had, I don't know how many yards I had, but I, had, I didn't have my best game. And the reason why was um, I had a hernia in July and I got surgery on it. So that game, most people don't know this, that was one of the first times I was full speed since I got surgery. Not even joking. Oh, wow. So I didn't didn't feel crisp. I didn't feel clean. I felt like I I wasn't as physical as I wanted to be. I came off a good junior season and a great spring ball where I felt primed. In that game, I just didn't feel like 100% myself. So I had this in my mind, I got to make a play. To, to prove to myself that, that I had a great game. I got to do something because I, I would not leave that game losing Taysom, one of my good buddies and my quarterback, me not having the best game and losing a game. I would have been in shambles post. I would have felt really bad as one of the leaders and captains of the team leaving that game knowing I didn't do my part. And I had that thought that even before that play even started, I got to do something here that gives us a shot. And so as the ball was in the air and I'm running down, I, I kind of realized I'm kind of by myself right now. 
no one had latched onto me yet and had held me, pulled my jersey like what happened to me in 2013 against Utah that was happening to Taryn and, and Nick in, in the end zone. I was kind of by myself until like the last five yards when I see these bodies just surround me. And in, in, in that moment, I know it's going to be a pull the jersey, pull my helmet. I'm not going to get a call. I can't throw my hands in the air and get a late flag. It's just not going to happen. So I got to go make a play. And I remember specifically feeling someone on my back over my right shoulder. I remember specifically being near or kind of towards the goal line-ish. I remember uh, one of their best players, Nathan Gary, being behind me in the end zone. And I remember purposely with my right arm slinging whoever was behind me even more behind me, like completely behind my back and jumping as high as I possibly could. If you look at the picture, I'm almost doing like the splits and my legs are kind of hooked back behind them. And I remember like thinking, Mitch, the only chance you have to catch this is one with your body, because if you catch it with your hands, it exposes your arms so to come in and hit your arms, hit the ball away. So you're gonna have to catch it with your body and you're gonna have to put these people behind you. So it's I, a I, punt return at this it's point. It's a punt return. Yeah, exactly. It's a punt return. It's, it's just do whatever you can to get, get the ball in your arms and fall. So I, I sling the guy behind me. If you watch it really carefully, I put the guy behind my back. I jump as high as I can. I put my legs out as wide as I can so that no one could run in front of me and just easily bat the ball away, game over. So I put these guys behind me. I'm a big body. And you can see their arms trying to reach over me to get the football. But big guy, broad shoulders, six foot six, they couldn't actually reach the ball. And I said, I said as the ball was about a foot away from me or three feet away from me, catch this thing with your body so that no one can have a chance to come and hit this thing away. Caught it with my body. I remember it being almost a catch like with just my left hand, squeezing for dear life. And I remember the moment when my feet hit the ground. I was like, I remember having like this super clear moment of this can either be the, one of the best plays in BYU history or one of the worst. <laughs> because if I, get, if I get tackled here at the one-yard line, it's not that I'm Mitch the Hail Mary guy. I'm, I'm Mitch the almost guy, right? And even though it's just me like the wrong place, wrong time, I need to make this right place, right time. So I put these guys behind me. I catch with my body. And I do everything I can just to lean my big body back and fall in and kind of twist. And I remember laying there sideways, looking at the goal line and looking at the ball and being like, it, it happened. It, it's over. Steps into the throw, in the wind, down to the goal line, and caught! Touchdown, BYU! Mitch Matthews on the last play of the game! And that goal line is splitting the ball in half. Like, if it was six inches shorter, it would have been a laser-zoomed-in focus review of the touchdown. My butt didn't hit the ground first. I I purposely made sure the ball was the first to hit the ground and made sure it was over the goal line. And I remember thinking, there's no way they can overturn this. And then, obviously, that's when the massive pressure from the dog pile just piles on. And that's 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 when you pretty much knew that it went down. Do you know? So you knew. You knew. I knew. As soon as you fell to the ground? I knew. 100%. It, it happened. I knew. We, we just we just had mm-hmm. one of the greatest moments in BYU football history here. I knew. Did you did you feel the significance of that moment right then? Because you guys are in an interesting place right now as a team. The Miami Beach Bowl happens mm-hmm. the game before to mm-hmm. end the 2014 season. That was a black mark uh, on the program for a moment. Mm-hmm. You guys are trying to overcome that by playing uh, you know well and being your true selves. That wasn't who you were. You go into Nebraska. This is a tough game. Uh, this is Mike Riley's first game in Nebraska. You know, he wants to start. Mike on the Riley th- recruited me to Oregon State. So he, as he, an Oregon guy, him and I talked. I was on the I was on the field. He was on the sideline. He asked how I was doing. Gave him a little wink. So that made it extra sweet to catch that hail mary because he didn't. He, they didn't offer me a scholarship, so that made that touchdown extra sweet for me okay. personally. Okay, that that's good. <laughs> and and you score, and then the dog pile happens. Yep. Um, how soon do you realize? 
oh, this was a pretty big deal, like a life-changing moment for you. I knew that it was a life-changing moment when it happened because I had been dreaming about a moment like that happening for my whole life, mm. knowing that it'd be life-changing, right? I, I couldn't wait for that moment of, because this sounds so cliche, but I've laid in bed in college and in high school thinking, man, how cool would it be to have that ESPN top 10 moment and to change the course of a, a, a program's history? Or how cool would it be to have that game-winning catch on national TV the first game of the year? And I remember thinking as that ball was in the air, like, Mitch, this is your chance. You've been thinking about this for an awfully long time. You're a senior at this, this is, point. Exactly. This, this is, is your, your chance. This is your chance to have this moment. And I remember getting a, a huge burst of confidence in that moment to say, Mitch, this is your chance. You've been dreaming about, about this a long time. And so I knew what was going to come of it. And even coming into the NFL, my first team that I played on was the Chiefs. And the coaches knew me as the Hail Mary guy. Like that was more. <laughs> you had a brand. I was the Hail Mary guy. When I went to the next team, I was in the Dolphins or I was in the Vikings. I was Mitch the Hail Mary guy. Like everyone knew it. Or people would find out and they would be like, well, that was you? Man, I remember exactly everyone where I was. Saw that I remember play, going right? crazy and I wasn't even a BYU fan. So it was that impactful for just the sport, for college football. And not a day goes by where I don't talk about it. Not a single day. And that was five and a half years ago. Not that's a single day. A, that's amazing. It really is. And that's, uh, you know, we put together the top 100 plays in BYU football history in December, and it was number two. Mm-hmm. It was number two, which is pretty cool. Okay, so the celebration happens. The dogpile happens, which Max Hall said in 09, after the Utah win in overtime, that he thought he was going to die on the bottom of that thing. Oh, me too. What was that like? Me too. Oh, me too. Well, I remember I remember Nick Kirch was the first person to jump on top of me. And, he, and we make fun of I mean, not make fun of but we bring up this topic all the time. He lays on top of me and he goes, we're legends, we're legends, <laughs> we're legends. And he's yelling in my ear over and over. And then I remember feeling so squoze I couldn't even talk. This dog pile. And I mean, that's like one of my biggest fears, like claustrophobia. Dude, I remember, seriously. I remember praying, like, I hope our coaches run over here and just start tossing bodies. I hope Tijon Karoma comes over here and starts <laughs> midget tossing, like, pig tossing, like, people out of the way. Um, and I remember it just being a split moment, but I remember it being the most worth it misery I've ever had before. Mm. The most worth it misery I've ever had. <laughs> because then you emerge from the pile and you go to kind of midfield. You just, like, need some space, probably some air to breathe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then you do a left-handed punch in the air, and you, you are so excited. I'm just, so hyped. The celebration continues. I'm so, I'm so hyped. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so hyped because, for me, I had a lot of anger built up because I didn't have my best game. For me, it was like a, mm. man, I, I didn't have my best game. That was my moment to show myself, and I did. And at the same time, put BYU on the map, put my teammates on the map, put my coaches on the map, put my family name on the map. And, and so I had so much, like... I had so much energy and aggression and emotion, like just just everything. I had every emotion possible in that moment, and uh, I didn't know how to let it out. You don't rehearse how to celebrate that thing. You, you, just, do, you just do what your body is going to let you do, you know? Yeah. Okay, later, uh, you go into the locker room, mm-hmm. and you have this moment with Taysom Hill, which was really sweet. Yeah. That Inside BYU Football caught where you are just crying together. Yeah. Juxtapose those two emotions. You just had the celebration of the Hail Mary to your brother's out for the year. Again. Yeah. Again, to end, you know, 2012 and what he started. Mm-hmm. He got through 2013. 2014, you guys are 4-0, ranked 19th. He gets breaks his leg at halftime. Yeah. Um, now here we are again. Yeah. Yet you won this game in the most amazing fashion. Mm-hmm. Crazy emotional juxtaposition. There. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that is I remember, you know, embracing Taysom and, and just talking to him for that split moment and being like, man, I would trade everything that just happened for him to be healthy. I, me- I remember having those strong emotions because I felt so bad that he couldn't do that. And, and obviously, selfishly, I was like, man, Taysom and I have 
have been this every year where this story of these two, what are they going to do this year? How many yards are Mitch and Taysom going to have? Mitch and Taysom, Mitch and Taysom. And and it, uh, three out of the four years, he got hurt. And so we were never able to live that out. And so our senior year, when it's supposed to be the best year together, we're supposed to do so many things and, you know, have a massive year together and, and, and hopefully break records, he's out the first game. And so for me, I was, I was angry that I couldn't see that for him. Um, him and I had practiced so many years, we were never, never able to live out like a full year together. And I remember thinking that moment, man, I would trade everything that just happened for him to be healthy and us just to go into game two uh, with a W and, and, and go that way. But it was the definition of bittersweet. And they were back to back, though. It wasn't like it was a week later you find out he's hurt. It was the biggest celebration, most life-changing moment of my life. And to go in the locker room and, and be in, in shambles over one of your best buds and your quarterback knowing that he was out for the season and seeing that in his face is tough to see. Um, and so it was def- the definition of bittersweet. Was he in the locker room for the Hail Mary? I believe he was, yeah. X-rays, MRIs, He's whatever. watching on a yeah, TV in there probably, maybe? Yeah, probably. And hopefully that alleviated some of the pain, but I, I couldn't imagine that moment what he was going through. The next week, it's Boise State, and basically happens again. This time to the other. Yeah. Mitchell Jurgens. Yeah. Why isn't this ball thrown to you? Because that one because the week before it worked exactly, but, but it worked again. That one wasn't planned though. That one was ad libbed hail mary. Exactly, that was an ad lib hail mary. There was still like what, a minute left on the clock or something. There's still a chance for it's fourth down and you got to make a play. Yeah, yeah, make a play. But this time it's either I don't remember how if it was fourth and twenty or fourth and ten. What it was, but we just went for it all. We went for the whole the end zone. And Let's throw it to the shortest guy out. Right, there. exactly. No, the reverse I, flow. Right. I think. Yeah, I think. I think Tanner was just rolling out or in the pocket looking for somebody. He just saw anything that was a white jersey and just threw it up. And I remember, I remember not even feeling open. I remember thinking, like, oh, don't throw this to ball to me because I'm not even open. I'm running the opposite <laughs> direction. It was a we called a broken play where the play was supposed to do one thing, but if he has to roll out of the pocket or too much time goes by, it he turns into to his a, right. Yeah. It turns into a scramble drill. We yeah. call it. And so he gets pushed to his right, and all of a sudden it's like, well, just go find an open spot. And so Tanner's just going to throw it to the first person that he sees. It's not like he has time to think. Okay, where's Mitch? Hail Mary last week. Tallest guy, big hands. Like it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was just let me just throw it to the, the open guy. And I'm glad he did because I wasn't really open that game. And what's so cool about that team was we had so many able people to make plays. Like Mitch Jurgens is a guy that you just feel so confident that even if he is you know five ten or five nine, whatever it is, like I feel I feel super confident in him to go up and make a play because he's that confident. And so I felt confidence in Tanner, Devon, Nick, uh, whoever it was. Uh, you know we had a shot. We had a shot to to come out of that ball. So you take the lead there, but that's not enough. Kainukua right. has his third interception, you know, yeah. a play later, maybe two. Exactly. So pick six. Seals it. Dude, the stadium in that moment was Rockin'. unbelievable. Rockin'. Like 90 Miami vibes, right? Rockin'. 01 bro. Utah vibes. Mm-hmm. And you're 2 and 0 on crazy plays. We're the, we're, we're the magic team. We're the magic team. We're the Hail Mary team. Like, what are they doing? What's in the water type team? Like, what are they doing? Who's this Tanner kid? Does he really have this magic touch? He got a helmet that fit him the second game. You know, yeah, exactly. it worked out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we, it was, it was, you know, at the same time, you're like, okay, we can't end every game like this. Like, our, our luck will run out. If, if this is how we're going to play to have to rely on a Hail Mary to win us a freaking game, we're not going to win that many games. So we said, we'll take these two Ws, but we got to play better against UCLA. we gotta play, We got to play a lot better than we did against Michigan. we got to play better in, during the game and not rely on 
keeping our head above water and then throwing a Hail Mary, right? So, um, you know, we, we took those Ws. We'll take those wins. Um, but, as you know, you can't rely on Hail Marys to win you the game. They were unbelievable plays. You know what's crazy, though, about this? Tanner and I still talk to, about this to this day, is the following game, UCLA. Yes. We played so much better than UCLA. They were, uh, they were. You leave East... the game until the very end. Yeah, the very end. Yeah, so they were. In my opinion, they weren't as good as Nebraska was. Nebraska was way more stout. Boise State was way more stout. Um, we actually played pretty well against UCLA. And if you go watch that game again, the very last play where Tanner throws a pick to Miles Jack, and that was like that was it. That was the end of the game. You train a fell linebacker. It was exactly. Miles Jack is amazing, and the the game was over then though. If you watch me, and Tanner and I still talk about this to this, this day, he's, Tanner's rolling out to the right. I'm on the far left again. Hail Mary. I'm talking Hail Mary vibes. I'm sprinting back corner of the end zone diagonal across the field. Tanner's rolling out, and he throws it to someone. I think it was Mitch Jurgens again. Throws it to Mitch Jurgens just to get like a first down. But I had about a five-yard lead uh, or, or head start on this DB. Tanner just puts that thing anywhere in the end zone. I'm coming down with that thing. And if you look at the film, and Tanner and I talk about this all the time, he's like, Mitch, he's like, I, he's like, I wanted to scream when I watched the film because I was open again. That would have been three games in a row. <laughs> That's why it hurt so bad because that would have been three games in a row, oh. three Hail Mary plays. But that time was the only time that I was actually open. But Tanner was, I mean, it's not his fault. He was he was so flurry and flustered. He just tried to get the ball yes. out of there. But it's one of those situations where, like, could you imagine if, if he had one peak to the left, saw me and threw it up? It would have been un, it would have been three in a row because I was, I was actually open that time. That's wild. Yeah. I'm not going to go watch that just so I yeah, don't hurts. scream like Tanner It hurts, them. man. It hurts. The ultimate moment like that is 2012 at Notre Dame where it's a fourth down and, and Riley Nelson trying to make a play and Cody Hoffman streaking down the middle. But exactly. listen, the yeah. quarterback can't see everything, right? Oh, exactly, yeah. So it's it's tough. Okay, you finish your career 12th in catches at BYU, 14th in receiving yards, and 4th in receiving touchdowns. Did you have the career you wanted at BYU? Um I had an awesome career, one that I, I could never look back on and be bitter about. That's pretty good. But, but anyone, appreciate that, anyone that's super competitive is like, well, I could add more here, I could add more here, I could add more here, you know? I was fortunate enough to have awesome, awesome QBs, but I had a new one every single year, you know? And uh, I, I love my tech, because all of them were, I love them for different reasons. I had such a good time, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that. I, I built forever relationships with those quarterbacks. I was able to play with my own my own flesh and blood brother, create new brothers, and have an awesome time, and and, and become top five and top four in in some categories in BYU history. It feels really good. But obviously, any competitor is like, well, I could have more. I, I could have more. You know, what would have happened if I didn't get hurt my sophomore year when I was leading the team and receiving touchdowns and yards? What would have happened then? Like, what what would I be on those rankings? But if you think like that, you'll just drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. You know. So I love my time. I had a great time, and and uh, always there's times where you lay in bed like, oh man, what what would, what would have happened if I would have done that? instead of this, but that'll drive you crazy. My job is just to be grateful for what I had. You mentioned your brother Marcus, so he's he's older than you. Mm-hmm. He has one of the great plays in BYU history, does, catching man. a tip against Utah State in 2011. Yeah. Bobby Wagner's in that game, mm-hmm. uh, Seahawks linebacker. When when you saw that, was did that in your pursuit of, hey, I want to make a play that matters, did, did that influence you since your brother had one i never even saw that i was on my mission when it happened so i only got text messages from you know members of the war like did you hear what happened to your brother and i got descriptions of it i think i was able to see a clip of it on on the email that monday that my, my family sent me um you know what's funny about that is is uh when I became a starter and my brother moved to more of an inside receiver position, one thing he always bragged to me about, and it's his, it's his job as the older brother, is like, 
well, yeah, you've done a good job so far, but you don't have the number one player on ESPN like I do. So you, you can't <laughs> brag. Like, you're still the little brother. And you have, I think at that time, that catch I had against UNLV, you were behind the guy's back and caught that ball. Yep. I think it was like top five on ESPN. So he always made fun one. of me. He's like, yeah, you're still not as good as your big bro because you don't have a number one ESPN play like I had. <laughs> and so now I have my chance. Nebraska got the number one play. I think it was number one play of the month, maybe number one play of uh, however long of the season. But um, I- I'm able to, I-, I was now able to, to brag about that. He doesn't have that on me now. So it- it did it add motivation? Maybe a little bit in the back of my mind, yes. <laughs> okay, in the top 100 plays, we put it at 97, the UNLV. Must Which catch. that needs was were you in charge of that? I, I got a bone to pick with you. I help with that. Let's that, talk. Do you know how hard of a catch that is? <laughs> I understand. I understand though. The, I understand. The field the, is tough. The, the there, magnitude dude. of some of those plays yeah. where you hand it off and the guy runs a ten yard touchdown, but that was in a bowl game to seal the game, an undefeated season. I get all context, that. Great context. Great play. Context. When, when those come together, it's really high. Context and great play. Yeah. The context was low. If you were to judge great play, I would have a hard time believing that would be top ten, because that was behind someone's. That was that was the best catch I made in my career. Not the most not not the most magnitude, but it was the best catch I made in my career. When I when I saw that in '97, I was I was hurt. I I think I made a I think I I made a tweet about it too. Like, wait a minute, this can't be fair. I mean, I'm just giving you a hard time, but yes, it was a tough play, but it was against UNLV in a season where we we already you know great season, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a bowl game winning or something like that. But it was in terms of just play, I was butthurt when I saw that. Okay, for next year when you go to redo it, (laughs) redo it. Why is this twelve now? Uh, Okay, exactly. The the hail mary. I, I stand corrected. I think it was three or four. And at four. Four, yeah. I said two. We had Still it at four. Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Hail Mary, McMahon, and Clay Brown. Do you agree that's the greatest play? Yeah. Because Given the of comeback. Con- come back in the context. Okay. Come back in the context. Two. Back to Harleen. <sighs> hard to top that one. It's hard to top because it's Utah. Yep. It's hard to you could argue that's one. Right, you could. It's hard to top because it's Utah. Um, that was a great point in BYU history, too, where we had come back from a lot of non-winning seasons to you yep. know, being top 10, sometimes top 15. Lost four in a row to Utah at that point. Exactly. And so yep. to have that, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with that one. Because I remember watching that, and that was when I started to get recruited by BYU. So it was sentimental to me. But the, it was in Utah, so that makes, it, that makes it justifiable that it was better than mine. <laughs> that makes it justifiable. Okay, three. This is where I think we could have put yours at three. I agree. Um, we, we <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Uh, Stinnett to Young was three. Yeah. Missouri, 83 Holiday Bowl. Yeah. Halfback toss to win a game. Steve Young, bowl game. Yeah, it went to three. If it wasn't I, Steve Young, I remember Young, that though, debate was crazy. Oh, I bet. If it wasn't Steve Young, though, would it have been an easy switch? I feel like the fact that Steve Young's Steve a Steve Young switch, carries it, something. It right? carries a ton of weight. Yeah, and obviously the halfback pass. He actually made a good catch. It wasn't a bowl game, um, but I feel like Steve Young is what is what makes it even a discussion to be put in there because Steve Young, right? It's, because it's great Steve to have Young. as a top three. It's great. And to have his as a top final three. play in a BYU uniform. Yeah, there pretty, you go. Pretty special. Exactly. Okay. We had you above, and there was debate. Kyle Morrell, 1984 Hawaii, jumping over the line. Great play. I mean, that that's an old-timer. So the fact that you went over that is— Gra- Yeah, there you go. I, I guess I'm scratching I'm, for justification. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, I would say third or fourth is a great spot for it. Okay. 
You're okay with third, that. I'm, I'm the third or fourth is a great spot. I, I mean, I can justify number one and number two for me for the both my catches, but we'll go. We'll be okay with number three or four. And really, you and me? Yeah, you and me is number two. Time. <laughs> my parents would say, yeah, it'd be it'd be uh, my immediate uh, family would say it'd be top two. Just kidding, but I think I think it's fair on the on the Hail Mary catch with three or four. Okay, so number fifty three was twenty eleven Utah State. Your brother Matt Marcus's catch. Yeah, fifty three. That feels really good to have. You know, we have our family has. You have three of the three top plays in there. Yeah, that feels that's really, pretty gnarly. That's really cool. That's that felt when him and I talked about that. That was pretty special. I'm not sure how many brothers we have in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Right, it was really cool. Skill position, that kind of thing. Yep. Okay, so your senior year ends in 2015, 2016, and 17. You're trying to make it in the NFL: Chiefs, Browns, Vikings, Dolphins. Mm-hmm. You have at least you know weeks to months with these teams. What was that journey like to try and make the NFL? And and the, and you scored uh, at least one touchdown in a preseason game, yeah, right? Yeah. Vikings. Yeah, with um, the Dolphins against the Vikings. Dolphins against the Vikings. Exactly. Yep. Um, tell me about that period and trying to live that dream. Living your dream is is a time when you can't ever complain about it. But it was the toughest couple years of my life because it messes with your mind. If this is your dream and you feel like you deserve to be there, and at times they can get taken away from you. Right, because no one could take college football away from me. Because it's um, I sign on for a four. It's a four year term, right? It's a four year deal. In the NFL, it's it's hey, if you don't have a, that good of a practice, you might be gone. It can it can actually be like that. And there's a lot of crazy stories that I have that I, that I can share. But there's there are some crazy moments like that. Um, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm very biased, but I felt like I should have been drafted. I know my age never plays a, a favorable part for me. I was 25. And so if you're going to go with a 21-year-old or 22-year-old versus a 25-year-old, it's a little bit different. And so the odds were against me, but, you know, it just it is what it is. Like a lot of guys go undrafted and, and they make it. So I, I signed up for that as a possibility and I went out and did it. Um, I, I had tons of options as an undrafted player because a lot of teams will take you. My two biggest were the Green Bay Packers and the Chiefs. I remember almost being a no-brainer to go with the Chiefs because uh, Andy Reid, head coach, he gave me a few calls during the draft, like, "Hey, like, if we don't draft, if we don't pick you up in these next couple rounds, I want you to come here." That's, That's flattering to have the head coach. And then Mike McCarthy is also blowing up my phone. I think he called me two or three times during the draft. Oh wow! A bunch of head coaches said, "Hey, if we don't draft you, we're talking about drafting you in these next couple rounds. If we don't, though, we want we want you to come." And the biggest mistake I made my whole life was going to the Chiefs instead of the Packers. Mm. And I, I, I flat out open about that because the the uh, the two receivers that the Chiefs drafted the year that I went on draft there are now the two starters on the Chiefs five years later. The odds of that they happening, landed. Cra- they landed two amazing receivers. I'll, I'll give them credit. There were two, and one of them is Tyreek Hill, who's been a first team All Pro guy. So that like. I should not have gone there, but I had no idea that Tyree Kill, this this guy who never really even played college football, who was supposed to come in as a running back, was going to be who he was, and this other receiver, Demarcus Robinson, who's going to come and be who he is now, and they're both the starters. I mean, how wild is that? No other team can say that. In a couple of Super Bowls. In a couple, exactly. And one one, and they've gone to two. But the Green Bay Packers have had five different undrafted receivers on their active roster in the same five years. How crazy is that? You would have had a better shot. There. I mean, way better shot. I mean, yeah. injuries. Um, I would have been able to go play with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and no, I don't. With Taysom Hill for a little bit, yeah. A preseason. Exactly, yeah. So now I can never say, like, hindsight's always 20 20. Sure. It's so easy to sound super intelligent when, when you're talking about it after the fact. But that's where I should have gone. And then I went to the Browns, had an amazing experience there, but I hurt my hamstring. They let me go. The Browns called me back a few months later. Hey, we want you back once you're healed up. 
but I went to the Vikings instead because I wanted to prove the Browns, like, hey, if you let me go the first time, like, I don't need you this time. I'm going to go to the Vikings instead, you know? But that turned out to be what I should have done because if an NFL team calls you back and the owner of the team likes you and the GM likes you, you should probably go back to that team and drop your pride and say, I'll go back to the team. And, and, and uh, they've ended up using um, a lot of undrafted receivers as well. And, and so um, I had a great experience, but I, 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 injuries didn't help, of course. I hurt my ankle when I was in the Dolphins, and that was kind of my last, like, football is just kind of over for me. I was out for a whole year fill, fixing up this heel slash ankle injury. And so I, uh, it was two years, a ton of fun, a ton of stress. And I had a, a lot of life-altering moments in that, and a, a lot of family stuff that went on. And so when I hurt my ankle with the Dolphins, it was after my second year, it was finally time for me to go live on the, the next chapter of my life, which is what I'm in now. And I'm a happy guy. I'm really, I wake up every day just as excited to attack entrepreneurship as I did when I played football. Of course, there are times where it's, it hurts and people don't know what's going on under, underneath the helmet, right? Um, but I'm very happy doing what I'm doing now. I have a lot of good things going for me. You mentioned the family stuff going on. So obviously, uh, you know, your mom passes away mm-hmm. around this time and you get married. And in the Deep Blue story, you mentioned that was the same week mm-hmm. and then you were cut right before, right after. after I mean, yeah. that's... That's as hard of a period of events as anyone could possibly have. Yeah. So to, to concise it all, to, to bring it all together and, and to boil it all down, I was in my second year of the NFL. I was with the Vikings. Um, if I was to rewind and back up, I, I found out right after, about a week after I went undrafted to the Chiefs, I found out that my, that my mom had cancer and it was terminal. So at this time, you're like, wait a minute, this is the first time I'm, I'm leaving to go play in Kansas City. My mom is at home with terminal cancer, and they're saying four to eight months. Isn't that how long a season is? So it was a huge gut check for me. I almost quit football. I told my mom I was going to quit football. I was like, I'm, I'm not leaving to go play football and then watching you pass away, and I'm out playing football. Like, it's, it's, it's a game. I want, to be with, I want to be with her. And so that, that was really tough to go leave, and, and uh, she pretty much forced me to do it. And I, I went out, played football, and had an amazing time, and um, – Luckily, the team was very understanding about getting me back. They, were, they, were, they flew me back a couple of times to go see my mom. They, they, they wanted me back to see her and spend time with her. Luckily, my mom ended up, ended up uh, staying with us and, um, uh, for, I think, 11 months. She, she made it. It was supposed to be a four to six deal with her, the type of cancer she had, but she ended up making 11 months. So I'll fast forward. So I found out I, she had cancer right when I started playing NFL football. So the entire time that I was in the Chiefs and the Browns, I knew this. It was really hard to play football and be focused you know, while, while my mom was sick. Um, I got engaged to my wife, Maddie uh, Lyons. She played soccer at BYU. She was awesome. She was man. amazing. She's the best athlete in the family. And I got engaged. We were dating through my first year of the NFL. Then we got engaged. And then into my second year, I was in the Vikings. And uh, we get a phone call um, from the, my mom and dad. Hey, meet me at home right away. It's not looking good. And we, we go back and meet in the living room. My mom tells the family, she's like, hey, just met up with a doctor. Things have been good the last 10 months. But he goes, something happened in the last month or so. It's not looking good. All the cancer has spread throughout your entire body. You got about three weeks to a month to live. And I remember, I, I, mean, I guess I can't remember everything I was thinking at that moment. But I, I remember, um, obviously, my world is crashing down at that moment thinking like, what the heck is the point anymore? Like, why am I playing football? Why am I not here? Like, it was just a total mind, uh, mind bomb. It was just like, what am I, what's my purpose here on earth? What is my purpose playing football? Uh, like, 
like my mom is passing away. She's the reason why I want to be so successful. You know, like it was just, it was unfair. And, and I remember thinking after the, like the dust settled for a second, my wedding is a month from now. And I asked my mom, like, so are you going to make it to my wedding or not? Like, and that's a weird conversation to have. It's like, are you going to make it to my wedding? Because that's, that's a special day for your mom. And um, she's like, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And three weeks passes by and it gets, it got, it got downhill pretty quick. Like it got, the cancer got, the doctor was right. It went downhill very, very fast. And it was pretty obvious that two weeks before the wedding, she wasn't going to make it. And so it was a weird time to tell people because she passed away about a week and a half before um, my wedding. It was two days before my birthday. She passed away. It was about a week and a half before my wedding that she actually passed away. And this is no joke. We postponed her funeral to be a week later. You usually want the funeral to be that weekend and get it over with and, 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 and have it like, you know, a couple of days after they pass away. We actually purposely postponed a week later so that we could have her funeral and my wedding on the same weekend because wow. we got 150 people coming into town. Yeah. They're not going to, we don't want to burden them with, hey, come into town for my mom's funeral, for Lisa's funeral, which a lot of people did. Go home for five days, then fly back out for my wedding. So we had to bite the bullet of let's plan a funeral and go on with this wedding on the same weekend. So it was such, it was so close together that people wore the same outfits. Like my groomsmen are wearing their groomsmen outfits two days before my wedding to her funeral because it was like, well, just bring one set of funeral slash wedding clothes and you got it all taken care of. So that, um, that was a weird time. As you can imagine, I don't. I don't know if someone's had that happen before. Emotionally, that emotionally, seems it's wild. It's it was wild, and it was tough, man. Because what people don't understand about that is, like, I felt like I had to be the tough one in the situation. My dad's in shambles; he's having a hard time. My mom's brothers and sisters are having a hard time. Her parents are. I mean, everyone's having a hard time. In my personality, just like that leadership bone in my body, the, the guy that's a motivator, the guy that's likes to rally the crowd. I felt like I had to be the strong guy, patting people on the back, hitting people on the shoulder. It's going to be okay, man. We got this. But I'm like, well, where's my love? Like, where, where, where's me? I, I have mini camp or training camp in like five days. We got a two-day honeymoon because I got practice. My mom just passed away. I got married. I can't give all that I have to my wife because she knows the circumstances. And I'm trying to mourn the loss of my mom. Is it going to be the best day for my wife? Is it going to be the best day of her life? Am I honoring my mom? It's like, it was a total like numb, just do everything you can moment, you know? Um, while my mom was sick, I started a business because I wasn't sure at the time that I was going to get called back to the NFL. Um, and two weeks after that I got, uh, that when I was on the Vikings, two weeks after my mom passed away and my wedding, um, the Vikings let me go. And I remember sitting down and having a conversation with the GM. He's like, hey, I think you're a top five, top six receiver here. I see you being active on the roster this year. You're performing super, super well with all you have going on in your life. Like this, it's, it's a testament to who you are, but we got to let you go because we got a couple guys injured, um, but we're going to call you back in about a week from now. Um, but that's not what you want to hear. Like, you, you, I'm going to call you back in a week from now. What does that even mean? Like, I'm still packing my bags and going home, you know, Mr. GM. And... Which at the time, I was like, okay, at least I got to go home and be with my family and be with my wife, be with my dad um, and the extended family to, to mourn this loss. And now I got to tell them, hey, I, I got released. I don't know what's next. So now there's uncertainty. Um, 
And uh, at that time, that was when I was like the most just crushed. I was just crushed because I felt like the Vikings, they, 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 they took a chance on me and I did well there. But now I don't have that. And there's uncertainty with what's next with football. Maybe that's done. Maybe my football life is done. My mom's life is done. I got to start this new life with a new wife that I'm very excited about. But man, it's tough to be that excited when, when I can't even put my focus on my wife, which I, I totally should. I need to put all the focus on her. And so I had to try to juggle like 15 different balls of emotion and stress. And I, the only thing that I, I remember thinking was, I'm going to become someone because of just this. Some, I'm going to become somebody even more than I was through football, like Mitch with a helmet on. I'm going to become someone more through this because of what I have to go through. It was just a refiner's fire, man. It was just, it was just wild. So I'm trying to juggle all these balls and trying to be the best football player I can be. Uh, I remember the, the day after my mom passed away, um, the next morning I got two hours of sleep. The next morning I went out, I went out and had my, I had my workout. I had a train, two hours of sleep, put on my Vikings, you know, workout fit. Me and Jordan Pendleton weren't worked out and I had a job to do. I, I had to mourn. I remember crying while working out. I remember specific tears when I was doing this certain ladder drill and just being like, I, I remember thinking, I guess this is my life now. Like, I guess this is what we got to do. You got to perform while the, uh, there's chaos. You got to find the calm and the chaos. You got to just make it happen. Fortunately, I got picked up by the, do- the Dolphins about a week later because they, they, they really liked me when I went down and worked out for them. And the, the crowning moment to kind of put somewhat of a sweet taste on all this bitterness was I was able to, to catch a touchdown um, with the Dolphins against the Vikings who had just recently cut me. And that felt pretty good. That felt really good. The business that I started through all that chaos is now the business that I own now. That's four and a half years later. And it's doing incredibly well. And it's, it's uh, 200 people deep. And it's going really, really well. And it's another baby that I have, right? And football is my baby. And I remember thinking, I got to score a touchdown to put my mark. I got to score a touchdown in the NFL to put my mark on all the crap that just happened. Let people know that I'm not under a rock, that I've actually done something even through all this. So that's kind of where, who I am now is, of course, I still deal with that loss. Of course, I still deal with, man, why am I not still playing football? But you don't get to choose a lot of those things. Like, you don't get to, it's, you don't get to choose that. Um, and, and so it's me, my life now is, you know, redefining hard and, and becoming somebody through all the BS and, and my, the, the stuff that I go through isn't worse than what you go through. It's not worse than what anyone else goes through. It's just my stuff, what I had to deal with, but I had two options and this is what I'll end this part with, but I had two options. I can either use all these crazy, real valid, hard times as excuses, which those are valid excuses to not perform. To, yes, they were. To, to hide under a rock, to quit everything, not start a business, not get married, postpone that, quit football. There were very valid excuses that everyone would have been like, oh yeah, Mitch, you deserve this rest. You deserve this. Or I could write one of the dopest stories that people have ever heard and go catch a touchdown in the NFL, start a really cool business and become somebody through those things. I chose the latter. And now it's, now it's uh, that, that, that time in my life was a rebirth to the new Mitch. Well, who am I going to become now? And that's the journey I'm on now. It's, there's no end to it. I'm on that journey right now, and it's, it's a fun one to be on because I feel like I'm writing a story. Every, every accomplishment that I have makes a story that I'm telling you right now even, even sweeter. 
Well, that's incredible because what you said, yeah, a lot of people go through stuff. A lot of people don't go through what you went through in that amount of time, which is which is gnarly. So I knew there was so much more to you, and that's why I wanted to bring you in on this first one because your story is so rich. And Appreciate you, that. you caught the Hail Mary, but there's way more to your life, right? Mm-hmm. And now uh, you know you and Matt are happy and you have a child. Tell, tell us about your kid. Yeah, Micah Matthews. She's six months old. Got to keep the double M's. Maddie Matthews. Love it. Wife, Mitch Matthews, double M. So Micah Matthews. That's the next challenge. Exactly. Having that a kid, is, that being is a the dad. next Rita Farn Hard challenge yep. is having a kid and having a second one. I think we, we decided on three is the number we want to have. Luckily, the first one was very easy. This is an easy baby, and she just happens to be super cute. So it makes it that much more fun. You've done the uh, Wim Hof method, uh-huh. which, uh, you know, if you haven't seen that, go read up on that. that yeah. You, did you go to Scandinavia? I went on, I went to Poland and did a, uh, a shorts-only hike in January with Wim Hof, learned the breathing techniques. Again, in January. January in Poland, uh-huh. shorts-only, did a four-hour hike. It was negative 20 with the wind chill, and uh, we dominated it, man. Me, Wim Hof, and a bunch of cool guys. Wim um, Hof is this world-famous dude. They call me Iceman. Go look him up. Yep. Wim Hof. And uh, I do a lot of that stuff now. I, I still I still work out a ton. I still do a lot of personal challenges. Just finishing Ironman. My life motto is redefine hard. You, you have hats. That makes it official. I have hats. I have a tease. <laughs> it's a constant reminder that you got to knock on hard's door instead of letting it knock on your door like it did to me. And so that's just my that's just the way I live life and have a lot of fun doing it. So motivating. Just everything you're doing, everything you've done. Best of luck with everything with uh, the business, with the fam, and. Uh, Thanks for coming in for this first Deep Blue. This hey, I was love it. Hopefully I threw it down. Everything you... I could have imagined I love it. sort of going deep with you was I love th- it. this was here. Sweet. It was an elite conversation. I love it, baby. <laughs> I love it. I'm with it. Cool. Thanks for having me on, man. That'll do it for us. You can watch Deep Blue stories on the BYU TV app. Listen to previous episodes of this show on the BYU radio app. For Mitch Matthews and producer Trent Schusel, I'm Jerem Jordan. We'll be back every Saturday with more compelling Deep Blue stories right here on BYU Radio.